good time of worshiping the Lord together. I want to welcome you to church in Mesa and at South Mountain, Found Hills, and online. It's good to be able to worship the Lord as we head into this Christmas season. And I'm praying that these next few weeks will really encourage you heading into Christmas and keep you grounded in what Christmas is really all about. Even as you're shopping and wrapping presents and hanging lights, I'm praying that you would remember what Christmas is really about. Because I know this can be a stressful season for some of you, and it can be a painful season for some people as well. I actually just heard a story about a family that was dealing with some stress. A husband and his wife went to the doctor because the man was having some health concerns, and the doctor examined the man, and then he asked to speak to the wife alone. And he said, ma'am, your husband's going to be okay but he needs a stress-free home environment. The doctor told him he needs to wake up every day to a hot breakfast prepared for him. (laughs) You cannot ask him to help with any chores around the house. Every day when he comes home, dinner needs to be made and the house needs to be clean. You can't share any of your own emotional difficulties with him or burden him with that. And if he has any needs for intimacy, you need to take care of his needs. Do this, the doctor said, and your husband will live. Well, the wife got up. She went out to the waiting room, and the husband said, what did the doctor say? The wife said, he said you're going to (laughs) die. It's tough. Well, this Advent season is what we're starting to kind of celebrate here, and that word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, and I think it's a fun time for us to kind of lean into the tradition of this season that goes back hundreds of years. It's a season of preparation and preparing our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ. We prepare our hearts, and we look forward to the eventual return of Christ And we also celebrate the ongoing coming of Christ to the lives and hearts of believers and people who put their faith in Jesus week in and week out. God's people are familiar with suffering and longing. And that goes back to the very first people created by God, Adam and Eve, who were placed in a perfect environment where there was no sin or suffering. They had one rule, obey God, don't eat from the fruit of this one tree, and they did it anyway. And that ushered sin, sickness, and death into the world. But even then, God made a promise immediately that he would redeem mankind through a future Messiah. And I'm sure for Adam and Eve, that gave them hope that one day their children's children would be rescued from the curse of sin. And we see throughout Scripture, God rescues his people again and again, even when it looks hopeless. He rescued Noah from the flood. He rescued the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. He rescued the Israelites from the Philistines. I mean, you see it again and again. So throughout history, God's people have always had the hope that no matter what happens, the Lord is able to come through for us. And here we are today. We're still experiencing suffering and longing. Sometimes, let's be honest, we bring suffering on ourselves. Amen. Is anybody brave enough to amen that today? Am I the only one who does that? 
And sometimes the suffering we experience is just the result of us living in a fallen world where there is sickness and natural disasters and, and things outside of our control. But either way, we long for a better day, a, a future day when these things will be no more. And this Advent season reminds us, even when we feel overwhelmed, that there is hope. So whether today you're struggling with the pain and the frustration that comes with just getting older, or you have a painful family experience that the holidays remind you of, or maybe even a current experience where you have a prodigal child who's far from God, and all the celebration just reminds you of their absence, or maybe you feel stressed out about things that are happening in the news, there are wars and rumors of wars, or political and economic uncertainty. I'm praying that you would be filled with hope today. And that's what I want to talk about. We're going to do this traditional thing where we light these candles each week. We're going to light one candle each week, and these candles just represent what we're celebrating. And this first week, we are celebrating uh, and focusing on hope. Next week, we're going to talk about peace and then joy and then love. And this process of lighting candles and Advent wreaths it's a tradition in Christianity that goes back to about the 16th century with German Lutherans. Uh, they started doing this and they'd have like a, a wreath and the circular aspect represented the infinite love of God, kind of like the circular wedding ring. The, the four candles represent those focuses each week, starting this week leading up to Christmas. Uh, the wreath or like the evergreen leaves you see on a, a Christmas tree represent the eternal life that we receive through Jesus, and each week as we light another candle and another candle, it just represents the coming light of Jesus into the world. So I wanna take a moment just to pray as we've lit in this candle. I wanna pray for us. Lord, we pray that this season would be filled with hope. And even though we experience suffering in this world, and there are people in our church who are struggling in, in ways that only they know and you know, Lord, I pray that they would have hope today based on your promises, what you've already done and what you've promised to do. I pray that you would use your people to bring the kingdom of God into this world in a more tangible way in the days to come. We pray that many people would be saved through the ministry of this church and that people would experience your love through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, week one of the Advent season, usually you talk about the prophecy about the coming of Christ. And so I wanted to start out with that today. If you have a Bible in a minute, I'm gonna to go to Isaiah nine. But Isaiah nine is a prophetic word that comes through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. And in this season, this came around 730-ish BC, there was an Assyrian king, King Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria, besieged Damascus, conquered Galilee and the surrounding nations. And uh, this was allowed by God to happen because God's people, they abandoned the covenant of love between them and God. They started to worship false gods and idols. And so the Lord allowed them to be conquered. They had to learn the hard way. We have some, some people in our church who had to learn the hard way. If you had to learn the hard way, there's hope for you still, right? Even in the midst of being conquered and put to shame, we know that the Lord gave a prophetic word through Isaiah to bring hope to his people. And this word really promised a future Messiah that would rescue them. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burnt. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen? This was a word of prophecy from the Lord spoken through Isaiah, and this happened 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, it makes me think about how as Americans, we are very blessed to live in a country where, where we get to elect our own leaders. And sometimes that goes the way you want, sometimes it doesn't. But you have this ongoing hope that even if you don't like the people in control right now, the people in leadership at any given time, you have a hope that, well, hey, maybe in a couple years or four years, we'll get new leaders. But I think about how the Israelites, they were oppressed and conquered by a foreign army. They had a hope that a future Messiah would one day come to deliver them, yet they find themselves waiting 700 years till Jesus actually came. Even though that's a long time, and it's a very long time. I don't even think as Americans we can wrap our mind around that. Our country hasn't even existed for 250 years. That's a long time, but the people still had hope because they had the word of the Lord and they had a record of the Lord's past mighty works. They had that hope that one day the Messiah, who we know as Jesus, the Savior would come and free God's people from oppression and lead them into a new era of peace and prosperity. I want you to understand messianic prophecy is often fulfilled in two phases. Messianic is, is Messiah-oriented prophecies, prophecy about Jesus. And it's usually fulfilled in at least two, sometimes more phases. Phase one really was fulfilled when Jesus was born, died, and rose again. Like when Jesus did that, he started the process of fulfilling the prophecy that Scripture speaks about concerning him. Phase two, there will be an even fuller fulfillment when Christ returns again. How many know at Christmas we celebrate he came once, but as Christians we have the promise he's coming again. Now those of us living in 2023, we are living kind of in between these two phases. We're in this awkward in-between phase where Jesus has already fulfilled the prophecy spoken about him, but not yet. Already, but not yet. We're already saved, but not yet fully saved from the effects of sin. We already are redeemed, but we still live in a fallen world. We've already been named righteous, yet we still have a sinful nature that we struggle with. We already have eternal life given to us, but we haven't yet stepped into glory. So you see there's this tension of already, but not yet. 
This passage in Isaiah 9 that we just read has already been fulfilled, but not yet. That means that we have hope, not just because of what's happened, but because of what will happen. And I want to focus on five aspects of our hope out of that passage today. First, even in darkness, the light of Jesus shines bright. Darkness is inherently scary. Evil things tend to happen in dark places. And even then, the light of Jesus shines bright. I have an almost four-year-old daughter. She's adorable. Her name is Lila, and she likes to play hide-and-seek. She especially likes to hide from her mom and dad, and she really likes to do that when we come home. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll leave her with a family member or with a, a babysitter. And we'll be at some church event. We'll come home. She'll hear the door open, and she immediately wants to hide. She initiates a game of hide-and-seek, but she's not that good at it. So what she'll tend to do is she'll just grab the closest blanket and pull it over her head. And we all play along, you know, Lila, where are you? And she's just sitting in the middle of the living room floor with a blanket over her. She hasn't figured out yet that just because she can't see us, that doesn't mean that we can't see her. She's under that blanket in darkness thinking, I'm hiding here. But we can see perfectly well that she's right there. And I think about how the Israelites, when they had been conquered and this darkness had swept over their land, they probably in a lot of ways were crying out, God, where are you? What's so easy to forget is that when you can't see God in your circumstances, that doesn't mean that he can't see you. In Isaiah's day, people were living in darkness, conquered by the Assyrians as pagan force. And even though Israel's own idol worship had brought this judgment on themselves, I'm sure they were asking themselves, God, where are you? And all they had to cling to was the hope of this prophetic word. It said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. They were looking forward to the eventual coming of Jesus the Messiah, who would come and deliver them, but they had to wait 700 years. I mean, a lot of us, if we've been praying for something longer than six days, we're starting to ask, God, why have you forsaken me? Six months and you have a crisis of faith. You imagine 700 years, that's generations of people living and dying and still waiting, but Jesus came. And John chapter one talks about this. The one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. At Christmas, we celebrate he came, the Messiah came. He was born, but many people then, just like now, that same chapter tells us, didn't recognize him as the light. I'm always aware of this extra on Christmas time in December that we live in this country and we have a lot of Christmas traditions, so you'll see Christmas decorations throughout your neighborhood. People will fill the malls and buy presents to give to each other at Christmas time. All these people who are celebrating and decorating their houses and giving gifts because of the birth of Christ, go walking through malls and, and parks, hearing music, singing about the birth of Christ, and yet so many of these people don't know Christ. 
They don't understand who he is or that he is really the light of the world who shines in the darkness. And most of these people, they, they will cry out in many ways. And, you know, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And they don't recognize the light has come into the world. That's one of the reasons why people do experience God's judgment. It says in John chapter 3, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions we're evil. As Christians, we recognize that Jesus is the light of the world, yet we also see that there's still a lot of darkness in this world. And you've probably heard people say, you know, I believe most people are basically good. It's a total myth. Maybe some of you have said that. I think most people are basically good. No, 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 they're not. You know what the Bible says? All have sins. No one does good, not even one. No one is righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we see the evidence of that, sadly, all around us. Sometimes it gets to be overwhelming, the darkness in this world. There's times when I feel like I can't read another story on my newsfeed about evil being done to children. I just feel, sometimes I just feel like I can't, I can't handle that right now, right? There's so much darkness, and yet we have hope. We have hope as Christians. Christmas reminds us it's not always going to be this way. Doesn't that just encourage your spirit when you think about the suffering and the darkness and the evil and the division of this world and the Lord reminds you it's not always going to be this way. We know that the light of Jesus came into this world and as Christians we have more amazing light shows to look forward to. In Matthew 24, it talks about the return of Christ. It says, for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. When Jesus appears again in the clouds, there's gonna be flashes of lightning throughout the sky, lightning. That's what the real, people will say, pastor, I don't like all those lights at church. It's too much, too much flashing lights. We're just trying to get you ready for the return of Christ. You're welcome. When Jesus returns, right, the sky is going to light up, signaling a greater fulfillment even of the light that has come. And then we'll be ushered into a new kingdom where evil and sin and darkness literally doesn't exist. Revelation 22 says, and there will be no night there, talking about heaven, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them forever and they will reign forever and ever. That's good news right there. As if heaven wasn't going to be good enough. In heaven, you won't even have an electric bill. It just said, right? You know, the light of Jesus is going to shine from the throne and there will be no darkness. So when you send SRP your check for the ne next month, you can just tell them, hey, enjoy it while it lasts, buddy. Here's the next thing. Despite opposition, we see that Jesus preserves his people. In Isaiah's day, the people had been conquered, and I'm sure they were mourning and also wondering, what does this mean for us? Are we going to be destroyed? And we've seen throughout history, the devil wants to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the map. But in Isaiah 9, 3, the prophet speaks to the Lord, the word of the Lord. He says, you, Lord, will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. Here's a people who had been conquered and were mourning, Probably wonder if they'd be wiped out, but there's a prophetic promise that they would be enlarged because God's saying, I'm not just gonna preserve you. I'm not gonna just help you keep what you've got. 
I'm going to expand your territory. I'm going to enlarge you. Like he promised to Abraham, your descendants will outnumber the scars in the sky, the grains of sand on the shore. And that's what God has done because God keeps his promises. The nation of Israel's had ups and downs. They've been scattered. They've been captured. But now they have a state, they have a homeland again. And, and to, you know, today there are living in Israel 9.3 plus million people, which according to estimates, that's even more people than lived in Israel during the height of King David's reign. God isn't just enlarging the nation state of Israel, but the true Israel has also been enlarged. What do I mean by the true Israel? Well, it says this in Romans chapter nine, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. And then in Galatians three, it says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. See, you read Romans nine, you read Galatians three, you read the book of Hebrews, and the apostle Paul makes it very clear that not all who identify as Jews are truly children of Abraham. Abraham was saved by faith. And those who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, by faith, have been grafted in and become the true children of Abraham. Now, I still believe God has a special plan for the ethnic Jews, and I think they have a special place in God's heart. But those of us who believe in Jesus have become God's children. And the promise he made to enlarge his people, we see it being fulfilled through the church of Jesus Christ. Our faith was founded in Jerusalem, and it's spread across the entire globe. To where today now, there are 2.38 billion people who identify as Christians all across the world. See, God's people have been enlarged. And today, on a Sunday, they are gathering all over the planet to rejoice in Jesus. See, the prophecy is already being fulfilled. And that's not happening because of, you know, great programs at churches or, or smart pastors or good sermons. It's happening because Jesus promised to build his church. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Aren't you grateful that Jesus made that promise? I will build my church and the gates of And over the years, we have faced opposition. We've had hostility, governments who wanted to stamp out the church, false religions. And there's times where we're tempted to think, what does this mean for the church? Is the church gonna make it? Are we gonna survive? And there are some people who get some doom and gloom attitudes. I've just gotta say that. You know, this is looking real bad for us Christians. You know why it's not looking bad? Because the outcome doesn't depend on what we do, but what on Jesus promised to do. He said, I will build my church and anything he promises to do will come to pass. Amen? Number three. Even under oppression, Jesus makes us victorious. This is something we see, this prophetic word spoken to a people in bondage through Isaiah. God says, I know you're conquered now. I know you feel oppressed, but I'm gonna set you free. You will experience victory. And true victory came into the world when Jesus was born. It came into the world in a fuller way when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And this all makes us victorious as we believe in Jesus. Isaiah 9, that prophecy has said, you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. 
just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. We just spent the last three weeks talking about how God used Gideon to destroy the Midianites despite outnumbering, being outnumbered by overwhelming odds. Because of sin, all humans are born into the world under the curse of sin and are enslaved to sin. And that's not something that everybody's aware of. We live in America, and a lot of us think, you know, I'm free, land of the free, home of the brave. And in some ways, we are free, and we're a lot freer than other people in other parts of the world. But we are all born into a world in a state of slavery as well. Slavery to sin. But Jesus did come into this world to set us free from sin and give us victory. It says in 1 John 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. When the Bible talks about the world, it's not just referring to planet Earth, but that's a phrase Scripture used to, to describe all that is separated from God. There are people of faith, there are the people of God, there is the kingdom of God, and there is the world. The world is all who reject God, and it represents everything that's separated from God. So when it says overcome the world, it means we're going to overcome sin and sickness and darkness and death. How? Through our faith. And notice this is in the book of 1 John. It's not talking about any faith. People use the word faith really generically a lot of times in our society, and they'll be like, well, you know, you got to have faith. I have, I have faith. My faith is very important and personal and private to me. You'll hear people say things like that, right? But really, this is talking about a specific faith. We don't overcome the world through generic faith. We, come, we overcome through our faith. And, and what faith am I talking about? It's the faith in what is stated clearly in God's word. It's one, it's one specific faith that brings victory. All roads don't lead to God. All religions aren't just different expressions of one faith. Everyone's not gonna be saved in the end. Only those who have our faith. And what is our faith? That Jesus is the son of God. He's God made flesh. He was born into this world and lived a perfectly righteous life. Whereas the first man, Adam, broke God's laws and brought sin into the world, Jesus obeyed every part of the law, was perfectly righteous, yet he took on our sin on the cross and paid the price for the sins that we would commit so that we could be forgiven. Then Jesus, after being buried in a tomb for three days, rose again from the dead, proving he is God and that we really are saved. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's returning again. We know that he's the only way to be saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That is the faith that saves. But I got to tell you, before he comes again, there's going to be some times where it doesn't look so good. We talked about this in October, about how at the end times, the nations of the world will come against God's people, and it's going to look real bad. It's going to look like they're about to be defeated. But then, even fuller victory will come. Second Thessalonians talks about this. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. 
they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. I read this and my heart just leaps for joy. And I say, amen. One day Jesus is gonna come with his mighty angels in fire. In, it's gonna be awesome. I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna punish the wicked with eternal destruction. And I say, amen. And I'm glad I ain't one of them. Why, why, why am I not one of them? Not because I've never done anything wrong. I have. But because I've been made righteous through our faith. Our faith in Jesus. You know, right now, the Lord, we're in this period of incredible mercy and patience and tolerance. And the Lord, God, he's putting up with so much. And he's being very patient and merciful to people who even mock him. And many people are against him and, and stand against our faith, but the Lord is being patient. Jesus hasn't returned yet because he's being patient. He's hoping more people will, will believe and come into his kingdom and get on the right side. You know, this is a good time to remind people about this because at Christmas time, you get this thing where a lot of people who don't really believe in Jesus still go to church. They go to church at Christmas, they go to church at Easter. So I lovingly call them creasters. <laughs> I love creasters, right? I'm just glad they come sometimes. But here's what happens. That means there are people in church who they kind of like what's going on, or maybe you know, a spouse brought them or something like that, but they don't really believe. They don't believe. They're like, you know, this is nice. Fear will never conquer me, okay? Hope, candles, it's cool. I'm not really into it, but... I'm glad it makes my wife happy. It's like, bro, you better figure out what's going on. Right now, the Lord's being patient with you. And until Jesus returns, he's gonna be patient with you. You have, an, you have an opportunity. You have the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus and get on the right side. Because there's gonna come a day when the opportunity window closes and Jesus will judge all those who have a post. If you're sitting in church today at whatever campus you're at, or you're watching church online, and you in your heart, you're not confident that you've been saved from sin, you need to get confident today. You need to know that you know. How, how do we know that we're saved? The Holy Spirit, when he dwells in us, assures us of our salvation. So even though sometimes you might question it, which is normal, you know, sometimes you might say, am I really saved? Because I don't act saved every day. The Holy Spirit goes, no, 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 you're saved. You're God's child. You're, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're, you're redeemed. He's giving you eternal life. And you go, yeah, 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 I'm saved. I need to act like it. But if you're here and you're like, I don't think I'm saved, you probably aren't. And so you need to make sure you know today. You need to decide to choose Jesus and invite him into your life and surrender to him so that you can be victorious. We as Christians, we have the hope of victory because Jesus was born into this world, he died for our sins and rose again, and we have the hope of total victory because he's coming again, amen? Here's the fourth thing. Our struggle is temporary, but our peace is eternal. There are a lot of struggles in this world, and I mean, I don't have to name them all. You, you struggle with haters, on the internet especially, man. There's a lot, I, I get a lot of practice with haters on the internet. You struggle just to make a living and pay the bills sometimes? I mean, if you're raising kids, you know that's expensive. 
They're like breaking things all the time. Perfectly good things that didn't need to be broken that you now have to replace. And then they have expensive hobbies and they need braces on top of that. You struggle to get ahead and to save for retirement. You struggle in society with a lot of division. We struggle hearing that there are wars and rumors of wars. There's political and economic uncertainty. For right now, for example, it's the first time in at least 30 years when we've had escalating military tensions with two superpowers. That can be a little scary. Potential struggle like that can unsettle you. But honestly, I think our greatest struggle for most of us as Christians is with our own sinful nature. The Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. It was like, there's a war going on inside of me. Do you ever feel that? Like, man, there's, there's a part of me, I want to do what's right. But then there's this other part of me that naturally wants to do what's not right. And it feels like there's a war and we struggle with that. We struggle with our thoughts. Like, we love Jesus, but we struggle to think the right thoughts. We struggle with desires that we know aren't pleasing to Jesus. And like sometimes you just get so fed up with that struggle. Like, why am I still struggling with this? I should be past this by now. I should be over this. And yet you still have doubts and you still have temptations. You need to know this struggle is temporary. It's temporary. In fact, Jesus said this in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus gives us peace. And I love it, it says, I do not give as the world gives. How many of you know, sometimes people give, but they take the gift back. Sometimes people give and give you something you didn't even want. You're going to get some gifts this Christmas where you're going to be like, do you even know me? Why do you think I want this? <laughs> like, Jesus, though, he always gives you exactly what you needed. Sometimes you didn't even know you needed it, but it's what you needed the most. And it's peace. We need peace. And I think we increasingly are aware of the need for that. It feels like there's a war happening even in our nation between people who want to live in a country that reflects Christian values and people who want to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're like, how did this happen? Why is this happening? In fact, I read some news last night. I saw an article that was reporting on this. Really just kind of highlighted this struggle to me. It said this, uh, the Biden administration is proposing yet another rule that directly targets the Christian faith. The rule, euphemistically named safe and appropriate foster care placement requirements, will require foster parents to utilize the child's identified pronouns, chosen name, and allow the child to dress in an age-appropriate manner that the child believes reflects their self-identified gender identity and expression. Those who do not affirm the LGBTQ rules because of their Christian faith will be deemed unsafe by the Biden administration and ultimately rejected as foster parent candidates. Wow. Wow. I know some crazy Christians, but you're going to label all of us unsafe because we don't want to live in an alternative reality? It just it makes you aware. It makes you aware that there's a struggle. Yet here's what Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Even when you don't feel like that, 
even when it doesn't seem like that, the kingdom of God is already here. We celebrate that when Jesus was born into this world, the kingdom of God arrived. When Jesus rose from the dead, the kingdom of God was established more fully. It's already here, but we have hope that when Jesus returns again, we'll experience an even greater fulfillment of his kingdom coming to earth. We won't just be believing in and living in the kingdom with the kingdom inside of us, but the kingdom of God will be everywhere. And it spoke about that in Isaiah 9, 6, how this is fully realized. The government will rest on his shoulders, Jesus, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Can you imagine that? Living in a kingdom with a king who loves you, loves you enough that he was willing to die for you, with a king who actually knows you by name and your entire life story. Imagine living in a kingdom where there are no enemies, no need for a military, no need for doctors because nobody gets sick. Imagine living in a kingdom where you never have to worry if your governing leaders are acting in your best interest. You know that whatever Jesus did or decides, that was the right decision. How well would you sleep at night? You're like, I thought you said there was no night, Pastor Ryan. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) I would sleep like a baby, right? Because Jesus is on the throne. Maybe that's why he's called the Prince of Peace. Our peace will be eternal. That means never ending. And that means no more election cycles or ads on the news, right? I mean, no more political signs around the community. (laughs) Just Jesus still reigns. This is, here's the fifth thing. This is the last thing. Now we believe without seeing, but we will see Jesus. I think it's true that it can be challenging for us to to believe in a savior and turn over control of every part of our life to a savior, uh, to a person who we've never seen. We can read his word. We can go visit where he lived, where he walked. And so we have a lot of evidence for believing, but it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to believe without seeing, isn't it? Remember when Jesus said, blessed are those who believe but have not seen? You realize he was talking prophetically about us who believe but have not seen. Around the time of Jesus' birth, Scripture tells us there was a godly and righteous man living in Jerusalem named Simeon. And we know Simeon had been eagerly waiting and praying to see the Messiah come to rescue Israel. God promised Simeon, you won't die until you see him with your own eyes. You can imagine his shock, Simeon, hearing that, knowing, man, 700 years had gone by since the prophet Isaiah spoke the words that we were studying today and just in the way that they measured generations. That's over 20 generations of people living, believing, hoping, and dying without seeing. And then here's Simeon being told, you're going to see him. As an old man, he's, he's getting that message. I mean, that would be amazing, and God kept his word. When Jesus was born, Luke 2 says, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus 
to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. Well, of course he was there. He was a righteous and godly man, so he was at the temple. He was at church. That's where righteous people go. They go to church every Sunday. They never skip church. Be like Simeon. Go to church every week. He was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, I have seen your salvation. Before I just had hope, now I've seen which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So when Jesus came the first time, born into the world as a baby, he grew up, he lived, he then died on the cross, died a criminal's death to pay the price for our sin, but that was not the end of our story. A lot of times with Christianity, we associate it with the symbol of the cross, but the cross was not the pinnacle of our story. It was an important moment, don't get me wrong, but it's not, it's not the climax Hebrews 9, it says, he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for his return? Are you praying for Jesus to come again? I mean, I'm not condemning you if you forget sometimes. It's been 2,000 years since he rose again and ascended into heaven, and he said he was coming back, but hasn't happened yet. A lot of people have believed without seeing. Yes, we have hope because of what he's done, but sometimes we just get so used to him not being here, we forget to look forward to his return. We're not supposed to forget. We're supposed to eagerly await and pray for his return. And we have hope. We have the hope of knowing that as Christians, because we believe, all of us one day will see him with our own eyes. Isn't that amazing? It says this in Matthew 23, and then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. That's talking about all the people who had rejected Jesus. He's going to appear, and they're going to be like, oh, no. (laughs) They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Everyone's going to see this. The clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then I love this. He will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. That's going to be an amazing day when Jesus returns. I wonder where where you're going to be if you're still living when he returns. You're going to be going about your business, mowing the grass, and the angel's going to come get you. We got to go. (laughs) Jesus is back. Man, at Christmas time, we're not just... celebrating the fulfillment of the prophecy about a Messiah who came, but we're also letting the Lord fill our hearts with hope because the Messiah is coming again. He's coming back again. That's where our ultimate hope lies. Amen? In the time of World War II, there's a story, an account, it's really well known, of General Douglas MacArthur during the Pacific Campaign. He was leading about 90,000 American troops and Filipino troops in the battle against the Japanese military. And as neighboring strongholds fell to the Japanese, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt was concerned about General MacArthur that he and his family would be captured or killed. And MacArthur was a well-respected leader, so the president wanted him to leave the island. And and General MacArthur didn't want to leave his soldiers. Eventually, the president ordered him to leave the island, so he begrudgingly left, and he stated to the people of the Philistines, I shall return, I shall return. Well, you know, two years went by of those soldiers fighting to survive against the Japanese, 
and eventually MacArthur came back. That was a picture of him wading back onto the shore. And within two hours of setting foot on the island, he got on the local radio and declared to the people of the Philippines, I have returns. I have returns. I'm sure during those two years, some of those American soldiers probably struggled to hold on to hope. General MacArthur said he was going to come back for us, but is he going to come back? Am I going to last that long? Can we survive even till he gets back, if he comes at all? Well, he came, but I'm, I'm guessing it was hard to wait for his eventual return. There's so much uncertainty in our world. There's so much to be potentially worried about or feel overwhelmed because of and discouraged by, but we know the Lord Jesus is going to return. Corey Tinboom was a survivor of the Holocaust, and she said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Amen? And we know him because Jesus came into the world. He came to reveal the Father so that we could know God in a personal way. God became flesh so that we could have relationship with God. So I don't know what the future holds, but I know God because he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Whatever we face, we have hope. Whatever you go through, you have hope because you have the promise of God. Four times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says to his church, behold, I am coming soon. And we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? I pray that you, if you feel discouraged today that the Lord will fill your heart with his hope. That you would cling to the promises of God knowing that God always keeps his promises. And if you're at church today or you're with us online and, and a minute ago you, you might have thought like, I don't know if I am saved. I don't know if I am on God's side then this is your moment to cross that line of faith and know that you know you're saved. And I want to help you in this. Just, I want to just lead you, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not like a magic prayer, word for word out of the Bible, but it's to help you express what the Bible says we should confess and believe. And if you mean this in your heart, I believe the Lord will, will hear it and save you and forgive you of sin and adopt you into his family and give you eternal life. So why wouldn't you do it? It's not about whether or not you deserve it. It's a gift that God gives to you. It's really just your job to receive it or choose to reject it, this gift of salvation. So if you want to do that today and cross that line of faith and receive Jesus as your king, pray this with me. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me. I've sinned against you, but I believe that you are the son of God and that you did die on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again and that through faith I'm forgiven and I've received eternal life. And Lord, I thank you that you've always loved me and now I wanna follow you and I ask you to lead me in Jesus' name. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a second. Wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at or online, if you just prayed that prayer, I think something powerful happens when we respond physically to what just took place inwardly so I'm not gonna embarrass you or do anything to you, but if you just prayed that prayer, just between you and God, raise your hand up, just as a way of saying, yeah, I did that. Just raise it up high, that's awesome. Someone right there, great, awesome. Just raise it up. 
I'm just going to have our service team come and hand you a Bible that has some stuff to help you in your new walk with the Lord. Wherever you're at, just raise your hand up. Anybody else? Awesome, you guys, in the front. So good. Go ahead. Don't be bashful about it. It's the best decision you could ever make. Anyone else? Praise God. Hey, let's stand to our feet. We're going to take this moment to respond to the Lord. We're so thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we can trust in you and hold on to hope no matter what we face. We know that you're good, that you're in control, and that you always keep your promises. Fill our hearts with hope, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.